coming up on Marriage Today with Jimmy and Karen. Once we get comfortable with the relationship, we begin to focus on other things and we put the relationship on autopilot. And that's when everything bad happens in marriage is when we hit autopilot. Well, I think you have to be careful as a woman, especially if you're seeking God for what you want, not to get preachy and religious with your husband, because that's the biggest turnoff to a man. Is, you know, I wish you read the Bible. I wish we prayed. I wish you go to church. I mean, you're just pushing him even farther away. And that's where you have to start trusting God. You know, you, you, you start trusting God for whatever needs to happen in your marriage and, and then hang in there because, you know, it'll change. It really will. A couple of years ago, Karen started accusing me of, of something. It's kind of hard to talk about. But, but one, one morning, I was walking through the bedroom, and Karen said, uh, you pulled the covers last night. She accused me of being a cover puller. <laughs> and uh, 40 years of marriage never happened before. I walked through the bedroom. She's making the bed. She said, you pulled the covers last night. And I said, no, I didn't. She said, yeah, you did. And I said, no, Karen, I did not pull the covers. I do not pull the covers. There's nothing worse than a cover puller. There's like thieves, murderers, terrorists, and cover pullers. And I'm not a cover puller. She said, yeah, you are a cover puller. You, co- you pull the covers a lot. I said, no, I don't. So I was I, you know, kind of put out with that. And, and so I went, I was staying in a hotel. I was speaking somewhere and I was by myself. So I woke up the next morning after, you know, when I was about to check out of my room and I was walking through and I looked at the bed and I noticed that I had pulled all the covers to my side. And for just a nanosecond, I thought Karen might be right. But then I realized if you're sleeping by yourself, it's not cover pulling. It's just using all the available covers, right? Okay. And, and so, by, by the way, I, I have a basic life principle that I'm not responsible for what I do when I'm unconscious. How many men agree with that? I'm, only confront me for what I do when I'm conscious. If I'm unconscious, I don't want you talking to me about it. Anyway, so I, I thought maybe, maybe Karen was right, but, but I, then I realized not. So I go home, and so October of last year, we had the worst night that we've ever had together. It was just cover wars all night long, and Karen was pulling the covers, horribly pulling the covers all night long. And about the middle of the night, I'm starting to get cold. I realize the covers are off the bed. All I've got is just one cover left, and the main cover's been pulled off the bed, and I'm just thinking, what is wrong with her? She is trying to accuse me of pulling the covers when, in fact, she's the cover puller in the family. She's trying to blame me, but she pulled the cover. So I get out of bed the next morning and I step out of bed and I step on something. And I realize it's the blanket. It's on my side of the bed. And at first I think I pulled the covers completely off the bed last night. And that's what was happening. But then I realized Karen pulled them off and she came over and planted it on my side. So Later, all the guys understand this. So I stepped out of bed and the covers were on my side. Okay. So I'm walking through the bedroom later uh, in the morning and Karen is standing next to the covers like she's been waiting there for me to walk through. And I walked through and she said, see what you did last night? And I said, yeah, yeah. And I walked through. Well, that's kind of the day that I realized I had a, I had a problem. And I could see myself sitting in a group saying, hi, I'm Jimmy and I'm a cover puller. Everybody says, hi, Jimmy. And 
You know, I just, it, it, I couldn't believe it, first of all. I couldn't believe that I pulled the covers all the way off the bed. And, and so I told Karen, and, and she also accused me of snoring and, um, about the same time. And I said, I don't snore. Then the neighbors called and asked why we were mowing the yard at night. And I said, we're unconscious, leave us alone. And, but this is not about cover pulling. It's about a dynamic in marriage that happens once we've been married for a while. Man, just about everybody goes through this dynamic, but it's a very dangerous dynamic. And, and that's where I was. Karen had been saying to me for a couple of years that, you know, that I was pulling the covers. And my response to that was, no, I'm not. I, I didn't. And she would say to me, I couldn't sleep last night because you were pulling the covers or you were snoring or whatever. Well, I stopped pulling the covers. As soon as she said that about me sleeping with her, what I realized was I didn't care. I was not caring about how she slept. I was not caring about her experience sleeping. All I was caring about was myself. And, and here's the dynamic that happens in marriage. Once we get comfortable with the relationship, we begin to focus on other things and we put the relationship on autopilot. And that's when everything bad happens in marriage is when we hit autopilot. In dating, the thing about dating and when you're newly married is you're highly focused on your spouse and everything that happens to them is very important to you. You want them to enjoy you. You want them to enjoy what you say and what you do. You're highly focused. You're very proactive in pleasing each other. But the longer you stay married, there is the, the process that we go through that we hit autopilot. We begin to take each other for granted. And then our spouse begins to complain about stuff and it actually annoys us. Whereas before we wanted to hear it and before we were very receptive to what they were saying, now we've become insensitive to it. Well, I'm going to talk about flying. I'm a pilot, and I fly a plane, a little plane. I just fly a single-engine plane, but I'm a pilot. And I want to talk about autopilot. Now, this would surprise some people to know, but a lot of pilots don't know how to fly very well because of autopilot. One of my friends runs a charter service, a flying charter service, and he hired a commercial pilot to fly for him, like you know, twin-engine props and King Airs and things like that. And this pilot of about 30 years went to work for him, and my friend hired him immediately when he knew that he was a commercial pilot and had all these, you know, 15,000 hours flying. And the guy, when he took the job, this pilot said, well, I'm going to have to brush up on my skills because it's been a while since I've flown. And my friend said, what do you mean it's been a while since you've flown? You're a commercial pilot. He said, the plane that I fly, I drive to the runway, push a button, it takes itself off, flies all the way there, lands itself, and I park it back at the gate. Flying has become so sophisticated that some of the crashes that you're hearing about are actually the autopilot disengaging and the pilots don't have the skills to fly the plane without that autopilot. And so my plane has autopilot. There's a little, there's a little button right on the dash that once I take off, I can pre-program the autopilot. I take off, I get up in the air and I can hit autopilot. It'll fly me all the way to the runway. Now my plane won't land itself but I can fly it all the way the runway, click off of autopilot and land the plane. But the more you use autopilot, the more you lose the skills of flying. And more and more, what, and what my friends and I, what we do is we hand fly up to altitude. We hand fly for a long time and then we hand fly down. When you're, when you're on autopilot, first of all, you lose skills. Secondly is you become distracted. And so when I'm flying my plane by hand, I am extremely sensitive to the entire aircraft and what's going on. I'm flying it. And if I just barely pull my yoke over, that plane's going to turn this way. If I barely push it forward, it's going to go nose down. Whatever I'm doing with my feet, with my hands, I'm totally in control of that plane. And I'm very, very sensitive to it. The minute I hit autopilot, here's the way I fly. Looking down at the ground, 
You know, I'm still engaged with my instruments and everything here. We listen to XM radio. We'll listen to golf or listen to football or listen to something like that. We'll listen to the radio. But as soon as we hit autopilot, we are not sensitive to the airplane any longer because we know that autopilot's flying the plane. But ultimately, you become unconscious. There, there are pilots that hit autopilot and go to sleep. There have been commercial pilots that have overflown their destination because they got up in the air, they had autopilot, and they actually went to sleep. Here's what happens in marriage. The minute you hit autopilot, you begin to lose the skills of relationship. Now listen, there are couples that have been married for one year that have better relationship skills than couples have been married for 40 years. You've been on autopilot for so long, maybe not completely in the relationship. Karen and I, when Karen was complaining to me about you know pulling covers and things like that, I mean, I wasn't, I, we had, weren't on autopilot in our relationship, but I was in that area of our relationship. And it worried me. It, when Karen said that and I realized how bad I'd been pulling the covers, I just thought, you know, I really am checked out in that area. And I hope there are other areas that I'm not checked out also. But you lose the skills. As soon as you put your relationship on autopilot, you actually begin to lose the skills of relationship and you begin to lose awareness of your spouse and what's going on in their life. And ultimately you just become, like I said, don't, don't confront me on what I'm doing when I'm unconscious. We shouldn't be unconscious in marriage. For example, when I, when I wake up at night now, I told Karen, I said, you know, Karen, I can't do anything about cover pulling. I actually, there's two things I can do about cover pulling. Okay. You're, you're semi-conscious, you know, when you're rolling over at night. So the first thing I do is I roll toward her, not away from her. When I'm rolling over at night and when I roll away from Karen, I push the covers her way. Okay. Before, for two years, I kept saying, I'm not pulling the covers. I'm not a cover puller. Now I'm, I'm highly sensitive when I'm in bed of what's happening to Karen all night long, which before I wasn't. That's what I'm talking about. You, you've got to click off. I've got two buttons in my plane. I've got a button right here that says AP. That's autopilot. I've got a button on my yoke that's a red button that says AP, and that's how you click off autopilot. I want everybody clicking off autopilot tonight. If you've been in any area of your relationship, you're, you're losing, if you're on autopilot in any area, you're losing the skills of relating and you're losing awareness of each other. And it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to do. So the question is, why do you ever hit autopilot in the first place? Well, the first, the first is, you think once you've reached altitude that you can just coast on in. In other words, we worked to date, we worked to get married, you know, we're doing great. And so we can hit autopilot and now we can just coast on in. Well, here's what you need to understand. Planes run out of gas. My plane has four hours of fuel. That autopilot's dandy until you run out of gas. And the best plane in the world without gas is going to crash. The other reason that we had autopilot is we want to focus on something else. And so we focused on each other and we fell in love and, and we married, but now I want to focus on my career or we want to focus on the kids or we want to focus on something else. Listen, the instant you hit autopilot and your focus turns someone, somewhere else, your marriage is in danger. You cannot, your main focus, like I said, we have the instrument panel in front of us. When I hit autopilot and I'm flying, I look out the window for a minute and I do my scan of the instruments. The, a, the, a knowledge of what is happening at the instruments has to be the number one thing that I'm doing when I'm flying. Listen, in marriage, yes, we have careers. Yes, we have children. Yes, we have other things. But our spouse has got to be the main focus of our lives. Except for Jesus Christ, we have to keep our... If you're saying, we, you know, we've got other things to do and I've got to focus on something else, it's the beginning of the end. The minute you hit that autopilot and you begin to put your focus somewhere else, bad things happen. The other reason that we do it is that's how we were trained to fly. You say, well, Jimmy, isn't that normal? Well, let me say, if, if your parents or whoever trained you in marriage 
If your parents were on autopilot, they either flew very low or they crashed. I want you to get to a high altitude and I want you to stay there for the rest of your marriage. And I want you to hand fly the airplane. I never, ever want you for the rest of your married life to ever hit autopilot. And if you're on it right now, I want you to click off. If you hit this button, I want you to click off with this button right here. And we're going to hand fly it in. Here's the truth about the flight of marriage. Number one, no marriage can fly itself. It requires human input. You've got to have two human beings working at the marriage for the marriage to work. Number two is marriage is a two-pilot plane. My, My plane is a one pilot plane. But the best planes are two-pilot planes. You have to have two people in the cockpit to fly that plane. Okay, Marriage is a two-pilot plane. Don't make your spouse fly the plane by themselves. They can't. Marriage requires the input of two people. The other thing is flying the plane is the most important thing you can do if you value the other lives on board. Listen, if your plane goes down, your children are going to get hurt. If your plane goes down, other people are going to be hurt. Imagine for just a minute that you get on a commercial flight and it's a two, it's a big plane. It's a two, two pilot plane. And you see both the pilots in there. Maybe it's a man and a woman. You get on the plane, you're boarding, you see this male and female pilots in there and you're thinking that's, that's great. And the plane takes off. There's a couple hundred people on board. And after about 20 or 30 minutes of the plane being up in the air, both pilots walk out the door and just come out and start visiting with everybody. And they're just having the biggest time. They're just visiting with everybody. And that's okay for five or 10 minutes. You're thinking, hey, y'all, okay, well, they got all piled on this plane. But they leave the door open. You can see there's nobody up there. And then 30 minutes goes by and an hour goes by and two hours goes by. And you're thinking, hey, you people need to get up in that cockpit up there. When you're not tending to your marriage, that's how your children feel. Your children need mom and dad up in the cockpit flying that plane. It's a two-pilot plane. And if it goes down, those children are going to get hurt. And so the very best thing that we can do for our family is to work on our marriage. We're talking in this program today, Karen, on flying high in marriage, just using the analogy of flying and, you know, keeping our marriage where it should be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to actually answer some questions from some viewers. And and I want to ask you this question. This was written to you. Karen, how do I encourage my husband that we need to work on our marriage? He's content and I'm miserable. He won't read a book, much less go to counseling. You know, this question is very common. You know, I, yeah. I can, handfuls of women that I know that this is their issue. Is, you know, they want their marriage to improve, but the husband absolutely is checked out. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I know worked for us. And so I pray it works for y'all. And that is don't concentrate on what's wrong with him in your marriage, but just let the Lord start dealing with things with you. And as God changes you, you would be shocked to how things start changing all around you. And, you know, give the Lord a chance to, to work through you. But the way he's going to work through you is by changing you. Because as much as it, you don't like what you have in your marriage, if I was to talk to your husband, he'd probably say something wrong about you. So, you know, there's two sides to every story. And yes, I, I appreciate this, the women who want their marriages to be better because usually it's the woman who's the one fighting the hardest for a marriage to be good. And so I applaud you. I say, keep at it, but let the Lord change you first. And you know, it's that scripture that is so true. First Peter three, where the woman is gentle and quiet and she wins her husband without a word. I mean, that is powerful. I mean, that tells you God has something in mind when he put that in the word. It's it's something to believe in, you know, to, to trust God for, that he really can change your, your husband through your behavior. 
And, and then that will open up the door eventually where you can say, these are the things I'd love to see happen in our marriage. And it won't be out of a, you yep. trying to force it. It'll be out of a sweetness that just he's attracted to. Well, it's redemptive love. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's an offense. A husband has turned his heart away because he feels like you're taking care of the kids more than him. Mm -hmm. uh, or, or sometimes it's just his problem. I mean, he's just checked out. He's not doing what he should do. You redeemed me, Karen. Mm -hmm. You prayed for me. You treated me better than I deserved. And that's what redemptive love means. It means you're doing the right thing mm -hmm. when the other person's doing the wrong thing. And see, First Peter 3, what you're talking about was written to wives. First Peter 2 said Jesus died for us while we were still in our sins, and he left an example. When we were doing the wrong thing, he did the right thing. And I love this saying that the best person does the right thing first. Mm -hmm. If you're the best person in the marriage, you're going to do the right thing first. You're not going to do wrong. And a lot of marriage counseling is listening to the wrong thing that somebody did, but they justify it because the wrong thing their spouse did. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, I know it wasn't right to throw the remote at him, but he didn't, you know, do this and this. Well, you can't, you can't say this and justifies this. Mm -hmm. But redemptive love says, I, I want to do the wrong thing, but instead I'm going to love you the way Jesus loved me when I was in my sins mm -hmm. and I'm going to redeem you with my love. And that's the promise that's given, Karen, that it says to women there, it says to, to, without a word, you can win your husband as he sees your chaste, which mm -hmm. means pure, and respectful behavior. He's not being obedient to the word, but you're respecting him and being pure. And it says it's so powerful mm -hmm. when he sees that kind of behavior that rather than driving him away, it's like a magnet that draws him back. Well, I think you have to be careful as a woman, especially if you're seeking God for what you want, not to get preachy and religious with your husband, because yeah. that's the biggest turnoff to a man, yeah. is, you know, I wish you read the Bible, I wish we prayed, I wish you go to church. I mean, you're just pushing him even farther away, and that's where you have to start trusting God. You know, you you, you start trusting God for whatever needs to happen in your marriage, and then and hang in there, because, you know, it'll change, it really will. It, it makes you attractive to your spouse spouse when you're doing the right thing mm -hmm. for them. You know, I was being a rat one day. and uh, One set, day? Just one day. <laughs> in 42 years, I had one bad day. But one day I was being a rat, and you came up, and you kissed me on the cheek, and said something sweet to me, and walked away. And I thought, oh, don't do that. You know, fight me like a man. You know, it just, it just made me feel bad that you were being nice to me when I was being a rat. Mm -hmm. But it really does. When, you're, when you fight a spirit, you can only defeat a spirit with the opposite spirit. You can only defeat hate with love. And so whenever you're dealing with a person who's mistreating you, you deal with the opposite spirit, and God honors that and uses it to change their heart. Now, we're going to be right back, so stay tuned.